It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to a special seasonal episode of Talking France. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all our listeners. This episode of Talking France is dedicated entirely to looking ahead So you know a little, at least, about what to expect in France in 2024. We'll try and answer some of the big questions about what lies ahead, such as what could cause the next political crisis in France and will it lead to strikes and street protests? Will Paris be ready for the Olympic Games? And is it best just to avoid France altogether next summer? We'll also look at what is the big change for travel that could cause big queues at French borders and will Notre Dame reopen on time? Stay with us and you'll be well prepared for 2024 in France. I'm your host, Ben McPartland, and joining me underneath the mistletoe is our team from the local France, Emma Pearson, Jen Mansfield, and politics expert, John Litchfield. Happy Christmas, guys. Merry um, Christmas, Ben. Happy New Year. I hope you've all had a good festive season. Let's look ahead to what lies ahead in 2024. Where should we start? Politics? We have to start with politics. I feel like we should, yeah. It's usually the cause of most of the big drama in France. It is. The big drama in France is always caused by some kind of political dispute. Emma, start us off. What's going to happen? Well, great question. And the really short answer is, uh, I don't really know. Right, Um, good. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, carry on. Um, Normally at this time of year, we do know at least a bit about the sort of legislation programme that the government's planning for the year ahead. But this year, quite a lot of things are up in the air. And the reason for this is the current political situation. Briefly, since the summer of 2022, Emmanuel Macron's government has not had an outright majority in Parliament. So we've got this situation where any bill they produce can't be guaranteed to get through Parliament. The government has often resorted to using this constitutional tool known as Article 49.3, which in the case of the pension bill caused strikes, forward slash riots. And in the aftermath of those 2022 elections, a lot of people were predicting that Macron would be forced to call more elections because this situation simply wasn't tenable. He didn't do that. Speculation sort of seemed to fade away. He did manage to pass a couple of bits of high profile and important legislation. But that's why the programme for the year ahead is a bit vague. Do we know anything about the programme ahead? Well, first of all, there's that immigration bill, which the government had hoped would be done and dusted by the end of 2023, but it looks like that will drag on. Another bill is to change the way that end-of-life care is provided in France and bring in more options for assisted dying, which is similar to those on offer in the Netherlands and Belgium. This proposal has actually already been put to a Citizens' Council and a Council of Medical Ethics and has won broad approval, but Macron is reportedly nervous about bringing forward a detailed bill because it's quite a contentious issue and it's the sort of topic that could turn into a divisive culture war. And the other thing that we know will be happening is much less contentious because around 89% of French people support it and it has support from a majority of political groups and that is enshrining the right to abortion in the French constitution. That wouldn't change the current availability of abortion in France, but it would make it a lot harder for any future governments to curtail those rights. And this idea was brought forward after the overturning of Roe v. Wade in the United States, which led to severely restricted abortion rights in some states. Okay, let's call on the expertise of John Litchfield, who joins us on the line from Normandy. John, we're looking ahead to 2024. What do you see as the big political flashpoints in France? 
Well, two or three. I, I think obviously the, the European Parliament elections in early uh, June are going to be very, very difficult, I think, for Macron and the government. I mean, it's a midterm election. It's the first national election, as it were. The French part of it is the first French national election since the legislative elections of June 2022, which didn't go well for Macron, and there's no reason to believe these will go better. I fear that there's going to be a very strong vote for the Rassemblement National in those elections. It'll probably be embarrassing also for the centre-right, maybe also for the left. So the campaign hasn't started yet, so it's very difficult to say, but I think that's going to be difficult, and if they do very badly, it will obviously weaken Macron's hopes of doing very much in the remaining second half of his second and last mandate. The other flashpoint, I think, is legislation going through the National Assembly. We've already seen the problem he's had in getting immigration law through. I think he is strongly tempted and under pressure to push through a much more difficult piece of legislation on changing employment law, changing the whole basis of unemployment law and employment conditions in France so as to save his promise to reduce unemployment below 5.5%, which is the technical definition of full employment. By the end of his mandate in 2027, that's now looking very difficult because employment is beginning to edge up again. He's under pressure, including from his finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, to, to change the law on unemployment so that people, he, as Le Maire thinks, don't find it so easy to linger in unemployment. People might argue that isn't the case, but uh, the, the feeling is that if you change that law, that would push more people into the many, many thousands of jobs which remain open and empty in France despite the rise in unemployment. I think that will be a big flashpoint before the end of the year. I think the other thing that's going to happen is that essentially, once the European Parliament election is over, we're going to go into the 2027 elections, essentially, because the, the kind of informal race to replace Macron as the centrist candidate in 2027, when he cannot run again, will begin. And at the moment, that is all happening a little bit in the background. But I think that will become a more serious event. It will attract much more attention. And essentially, it will have the effect because people will be focused on that, on what comes next. On weakening Macron's authority, you know, he will become quite clearly a, a lame duck in, in American political parlance, and that uh, his chances, therefore, of asserting his authority, pushing stuff through the Assembly, keeping his own alliance together in the Assembly, which is a big problem potentially, will be weakened by the fact that he, people will be thinking about what's coming next rather than him. Yeah. So I think those will be the three things I would point to. But politics is always full of surprises. Many other things may happen. If there's one bit of legislation that could bring the French people out onto the streets like we've seen in the past, you think it could be around unemployment? Absolutely, yeah. Immigration law is never going to cause huge amounts of anger on the streets. Anything that affects people's straightforward social rights, their sense of acquis, which goes right back to the end of the Second World War, yes, that would get people on the streets. It would bring the Union coalition, which was quite successful in a way, although not in the end, uh, at the earliest part of this year, back out onto the streets. It would get... The left, very agitated in Parliament, it would no doubt be attacked in various ways by Marine Le Pen as well. So, yeah, I think that would. And I think, as we stand, I think the government is contemplating its options and just how far it can go. It can sort of tinker at the edges and, not have not, and anger people, but not have much effect. Or it can go for a real big change, which would be a, a Macronian legacy, if you like, to change the whole basis on which uh, French social security, French unemployment law has been based since 1945, basically. But the risk of not getting it through Parliament unless he uses his emergency powers again 
And if he does use his, his emergency powers, having the kind of anger, or even more than the kind of anger we saw over pension reform, that I think will be a, a big flashpoint this year. And I think it's exactly because I think Macron doesn't want to sort of go out with a whimper. You know, he doesn't want to trail out over two and a half years not doing very much except sort of appearing on the international stage, making pronouncements about various things. I think he will be tempted to go for something bigger. But, you know, I don't think that decision has been made yet. Thanks, John. And of course, we'll be hearing more from you throughout the year. I mentioned earlier there are some major changes for travel in Europe ahead that will really affect passengers. And it's worth knowing about them well in advance. I'm talking about the EU's new border systems, one called EES and the other ETIAS. To tell us about them is the locals EU border system expert, Emma EES Pearson, as you are known. (laughs) Emma, tell us more about them. I feel like I have to start this section with a confession, which is that when we did our podcast called Ah. What's Happening in France in 2023, uh, we included EES as well. And that's because the whole scheme has been repeatedly delayed. It's not our fault. It, no, it's very much not our fault. No, it's the EU's fault and also maybe the pandemic's fault because that right. was a reason it was delayed. In fact, actually, planning has been going on for all about this for so long that the UK was involved in the initial discussions because this was before the Brexit vote. The UK was reportedly keen to have tighter border controls at EU external borders. But of course, now those border controls will also apply between France and the UK. And that's actually expected where quite a few of the problems are expected to be. So let's break it down. There are two big changes coming up for travel in and out of the EU. The first one is EES, which stands for Entry and Exit System. And the second is the European Travel Information and Authorization System, known as ETIAS. Now, both of these only affect external EU borders. So nothing will change for a trip between France and Germany, let's say. But if you're entering France from the UK, from the USA, from Australia, from Canada or any other non-EU country, then it may affect you. Okay, the big question we've been trying to find out for, well, years now is when is this happening? Okay, I'm not going to put my neck on the block and say it's definitely happening here, but the dates we have at the moment, the revised start date is late in 2024 for EES Mm. and then the first half of 2025 for ETIAS. The delays are kind of to give all countries time to prepare and hopefully avoid long queues. And actually it was France who was pushing for it to be delayed until after the Paris Olympics when we're obviously expecting quite a lot of people to travel to France. Okay, and now the important question, what does it actually mean for travellers? Okay, let's take EES first. This is basically just a more high-tech version of passport scanning at the border. Instead of the border guard just like looking at your passport and then physically rubber stamping entry and exit dates, it's a scan that automatically calculates your length of stay in the EU and whether you have overstayed your 90 days of visa-free travel. There's also extra biometric data involved, including fingerprints, and that just makes the system a bit more secure. And it's important to point out that this is only for visitors to the EU. If you live in France with a cat decision, like I do, if you have a visa for a stay longer than the 90 days, or you come from a country that doesn't benefit from the 90-day rule, so you need a visa for even short stays, then EES does not apply to you. These people will just show their, their passport and visa or their passport and residency card in exactly the same way as it does now. And this system, it doesn't actually change the 90-day rule, but it basically just tightens up enforcement and it will make it much harder to overstay. Fantastic. That is EES. Let's go on to ETIAS. Okay, this one also is just for tourists and visitors. So if you live in France, neither of these changes will actually affect you, although obviously you would be affected if they cause delays at the border. So if you're visiting France or any other EU country for less than 90 days, you will need to go online in advance 
fill out a visa waiver form and pay a fee of seven euro, although it is free for under 18s and over 70s. If you've travelled to the US recently and have filled out the ESTA visa waiver, it's basically the same thing. You fill out the form online in advance. Technically, this isn't actually a visa, it's a visa waiver, but it does mean the end of paperwork free travel for tourists. The exemption itself, it lasts for three years, so frequent travellers don't need to do this every time they come to France. Okay, the, the one important word you, that stuck out for me there was delays. What yeah, this I mean, this is the fear. Both of these systems will take longer for border guards to process people. And there's also the risk that holidaymakers especially might not realise about ETIAS changes and like turn up at the border without their form filled out and maybe be turned away or have to do extra processing. Like, bring back memories of COVID. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what everybody's Turning worried about. Turning up without about. the paperwork. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think that's the fear. So crossing the border will probably take a little longer. That will probably only be a major problem at crossing points that are already really busy. But the UK-France border is one of those, especially the ferry port at Dover. I mean, ever since Brexit, we've seen long queues at the port at sort of busy travel times like the start of the school holidays. And the problem is basically that there's very little slack in the system. So even a minor problem like some French border guards being half an hour late for work can end up causing huge delays. And the fear is that the extra time to take and to do these new processes, even though it might be only a couple of seconds per person, will have a similar knock-on effect. Okay, thanks, Emma. Just a, a reminder for listeners, we've got a huge section on our website you'll find on our home page called France in 2024, where we have loads of articles looking ahead to the year 2024. One of them is about holidays next year. Jen, you've got some information on that for us. Is 2024 a good year for holidays in France? Yeah, so if you work and live in France, then 2024 is going to be a great year for public holidays. So France already has 11 public holidays in a year. But the problem is, if one of them falls on a weekend, then it's usually lost for workers. But this year, the only day that workers lose to a weekend is the Fête Nationale, which is on July 14th. So we get 10 out of 11. Yep, exactly. That's not bad. Yeah, we get a double as well. What do you mean a double? Well, May 8th is always a holiday. Yeah, um, for the end of the war, is that right? Yes. Yeah. But then Ascension, which is the Christian festival, uh, is a floating holiday that changes yeah. days every year. Yeah. But in 2024, it will be on May 9th. So no. we get two, eight, two eight days. Ninth. Do we know what days of the week they are? Wednesday, Thursday. So we're going to do a massive pont. Well, if you look in the, if you check the holiday diary, Ben, you'll find I've already booked oh, that no. week off. <laughs> Sorry, Jen, you're working. You've got to really get in with your holidays early in France to book those ponts. Okay, uh, that sounds brilliant. 10 out of 11 public holidays. I'm happy with that. Um, have you got any ideas, Jen? There's some big events coming up in 2024 that listeners, visitors to France might want to know about. Well, there are a lot of exciting things on the docket. So first, it's looking like it's going to be a good year for skiing. So far, we've had a cold, rainy winter across much of northern France. Unfortunately, this has brought flooding to the northwestern coast, but it has also brought snow to the Alps. So some of the high-altitude resorts were actually able to open early this year, and so far the season has been able to start on time. So in comparison to last year, a lot of resorts either had to push back their opening dates or they had to close certain runs because of a lack of snow and warm temperatures. In terms of the rest of the winter for 2024, forecasters have predicted that the northern half of the country is probably going to continue seeing those wet weather patterns. And the second big event this year is the 80th anniversary of the D-Day landings in Normandy. Now, the exact details have not been finalized yet, but there will be events around June 6th and plenty of commemorations to fallen soldiers. Plus, there will be representatives from the French, British, American, and Canadian governments. And then the other big event uh, is the Olympics. We'll get into that in a second. But there's another sporting event, and that's the Tour de France. And it's going to be a little bit different in 2024. 
So the Tour de France is going to start off in northern Italy, and then it's going to finish on the Mediterranean in Nice instead of Paris. And that is because of the Olympics, is that Exactly. Right? Okay, now let's talk about the Olympics and Paralympics. Uh, this is biggest event of 2024, pretty much, in France. The big question everyone seems to be asking, there's a lot of debate about this, Emma, is Paris going to be ready or not? Well, yeah, this, this is the fear. We're getting more and more headlines of people saying that it won't be, although most of the people who say it won't be are not directly involved in the planning. But yes, I think there is a, a real nervousness, though, that Paris might be, you know, sort of humiliated in the eyes of the world if this all goes wrong. Although I have to say, I do remember quite similar sentiments in the UK ahead of the 2012 Games, and they mostly went off okay. Okay, let's go through some of the things that do really need to be ready on time. Perhaps the most important is the venues, the Athletes' Village, any information on that? Well, the good thing in terms of event venues is that there aren't actually that many building projects. A big part of the Paris bid is sustainability, and part of that is using pre-existing venues to host sports, including locations in the city centre, like the Grand Palais, which is normally a museum, and Les Invalides, which is where the military train. For new build projects, we have the Aquatic Centre at Saint-Denis, just opposite the Stade de France, mm -hmm. uh, and also the Olympic Village. The village is scheduled for completion at the end of 2023 and is on schedule, we're told. The Olympic chief, Thomas Batch, visited at the start of December and said he was very satisfied with progress. And the Aquatic Centre too. That was hit with several strikes during the pension protests, but is apparently still on course to finish on time. Okay, one of the most talked about aspects of the Paris Olympics is this plan to host some swimming events in the River Seine, which flows through the heart of the city. Uh, and where swimming is obviously banned at the moment. The big question is, is it going to be clean enough? I think this is the venue that is causing the most worry at this stage. Um, the organisers are really keen to have the open water swimming events in the Seine, in the city centre, and to make this the sort of the culmination of this long effort to clean up the river and make it swimmable again. And the plan is to open it up to the public after the games are finished. Swimming, as you said, has been banned in the Seine since 1923 because it's too polluted. We had a couple of trial triathlon events last summer and actually only one of the three was able to go ahead in the river because the water pollution levels were not safe. City officials are still adamant that they can be ready in time and the Olympics organisers say there is no plan B for the opening swimming events. I'm sure there actually is. There has to be a plan B. <laughs> I'm sure there is. It's probably the Canal Orc, which is where we already have the Paris Triathlon, which goes right past our office, which will be nice. Um, but yes, at the moment, they're still saying this okay, will Okay, hold on. Neck on the block time. Do you think there will be swimming events in the Seine? Jen? If it rains, no. If it doesn't rain, yes. <laughs> because the rain flushes the sewage a bit more yeah, into exactly. the river, makes it dirtier. Emma, is it going to happen? You're quite positive, aren't you? No. Uh, I, I, I think Jen's right. I think if there's like unseasonal, yeah. unusual summer flooding, yeah. then it might not happen. But if the weather is normal, then yes, I'm going to say it will happen. I think they're just going to push ahead with it and all the athletes are going to get ill. Swimming <laughs> <laughs> in the same. That would be really Swallowing that water. Right, okay. Uh, that's the big sports venues. What about the city itself? Paris seems like it's a bit of a building site at the moment, has been for a long time. Roads closed, dug up, cycle lanes being built, metro services closed for works. Is it all going to be ready? Is it all going to be calm and functional? I think this is the bit that people are a bit more worried about. I don't think there's any major concern over the game's infrastructure, but there is concern about whether the city itself will be ready. It's projected that between 10 and 15 million people will visit during the Olympics. That's obviously a lot. But actually, in a normal year, 10 million people visit Paris over the summer. So it's slightly more people in a shorter time period, but it's not 
you know, an unprecedented or exceptional number. The Paris mayor, Anne Hidalgo, she made headlines at the start of December when she said the city's public transport system would not be ready for the Games. That has been denied by the government and the head of the regional transport system. And it should be noted that the Paris mayor is actually not directly involved in the running of the transport system. That's the regional president, Valérie Pécresse. She says it will be ready, so... I guess we'll see. One thing we do know is that the cost of tickets will increase during the Games. The regional transport chief has said that the price for a single ticket for the Metro bus tram will double during the Games, going up to €4 Euro per ticket. The prices will come down again once the Games finish and they won't affect locals who have a travel pass or anyone who buys tickets in advance. But the idea is to make visitors okay. pay a bit more to pay for some of these upgrades mm. that we're doing. So anyone living in Paris should stock up on tickets in advance Unless they've got this monthly travel pass or something. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Paris is, of course, hosting the Paralympics after the Olympics. And it's fair to say the French capital is not known for being easy to navigate for those with physical disabilities. Will there be any significant improvements on this front, Emma? Yeah, you're right. Paris is not an accessible city. Most of the metro is not accessible to people with reduced mobility. The bus and tram services are at least nominally. But I mean, even the pavements can be quite hard to navigate yeah. for wheelchair users. And I think this is the bit that I personally am quite disappointed about because it kind of seems like what the city is doing is just doing short-term measures. So they're recruiting lots of extra taxi drivers with specially adapted vehicles, athletes and delegates for the Paralympics will have shuttle bus services, taxi services, whatever. So it seems like things will function during the Games. But for me, that's a real missed opportunity to make long-term structural changes to the city, which could have benefited future visitors and residents of Paris after the Games are over. Mm, you mentioned residents of Paris, you know, just by doing straw polls of the people I know. A lot of people are just saying, I'm getting well out of Paris during the Games. Will it be a nightmare? You know, we've heard talk about people needing QR codes to get around. Should Parisians flee to the countryside? Firstly, I would say Parisians are a grumpy people, so don't pay too much attention to what they say about how it's going to be terrible. Also, Parisians really like leaving Paris, as we discovered during they the pandemic. They leave anyway, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So to, to answer your question more seriously, we've had the first details of the police security plan for the city during the Games. It's been making a lot of headlines, especially around those QR codes that you mentioned. But I think it's important to clarify that this isn't for the whole city and it's not for the whole Games period. What we're getting is security zones around event venues. So like the Place de la Concorde, for example, that's hosting urban sports. The Eiffel Tower, that's where they're having the beach volleyball. Around those areas will be security zones. So entry to event venues will be restricted to ticket holders and delegates of the Games. And then around those venues, there will be security zones with tight restrictions on entry to vehicles and motorbikes. But I think it's important to clarify that these won't affect pedestrians or cyclists. So there is no need for a QR code unless you want to drive in the areas immediately around the events. And taxis will be permitted to enter these zones. So if you're you know, have reduced mobility, you can get a taxi to these places. The one exception is during the opening ceremony on Friday, July 26th. Full details are still to be finalised, but there will be a security zone along the six kilometre route uh, of the opening ceremony along the river through the city centre. And people who live actually on the quay of the river will need a QR code to enter on the day of the ceremony, as will any guests that they've invited to watch with them. 
Okay, what about Beyond Paris then, Jen? A couple of people have suggested or asked, is it worth just avoiding France altogether next summer? Obviously, France is a huge country. What about that? Any questions we can answer about that? Well, so I tried to look at this from a couple of different perspectives. The first question that I wanted to answer was whether or not it's going to be more expensive for people to simply get to France during the Olympics. And so we tested a couple of common routes into France to compare the prices. At the time of recording, according to Google Flights data, a direct flight from New York City to Paris was still in the quote-unquote average price range for a round-day, seven-day trip. That would be during the first week of the Olympics. And then for London to Paris, the tickets were a little higher than the average range for late July, so 191 euro instead of the usual range of 80 to 155 For round-trip flights for the same period between Berlin to Paris and Tokyo to Paris, they were still considered to be average, and Sydney to Paris was actually lower than average. And then we also looked at other ways that people would get to France from the UK. So the Eurotunnel from Folkestone to Calais was still showing options close to the standard fare of £115 per vehicle each way, and the Eurostar still had plenty of available tickets around the average price that you would expect booking at least 30 days in advance. So Rail Europe estimates this usually to be around €147. Once you're in France, the transport minister has said that ticket prices in 2024 are not going to be raised for budget services like WeGo or the Intercité service. As for Inwe, which is the normal high-speed train service, uh, those prices are going to go up, but along the lines of inflation, apparently. Okay, this is, that's train fares we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so all of this might change as we get closer to the Olympics. Obviously, fares get more expensive as the date gets closer, and it's going to depend on the time that you book. But generally, pretty normal okay. travel costs so far. Positive news on travel costs, perhaps. What about accommodation? We're hearing different stories here. Yeah, so I also looked at this, and this one depends on whether or not you're planning to spend any time in Paris. So hotel rooms in the city are already filling up. According to the Paris deputy mayor in charge of tourism, the average price of one night in a hotel in Paris is going to be 699 euro during the Olympic Games. That's compared to 169 euro in July 2023. So quite a hike. If you are visiting other parts of France, you can generally expect hotels and Airbnbs to be pretty much in line with the seasonal norms for late July and early August. But we should keep in mind that Paris is not the only city hosting events during the Games. There will be smaller scale events in other cities too. So Marseille, for example, is hosting all of the sailing events. That being said, when I looked at Airbnbs in Marseille, the cost for an average nightly stay during the last week of June was around 102 euro. And comparing that to the first week of the Olympics is about 110 euro. So really not that big of a difference. I also looked at Airbnbs in Bordeaux and Nice, and they showed differences of like 20 to 25 euro when comparing that last week of June with the first week of the Olympics. And Lyon didn't show any difference at all. So, I mean, should you avoid France during the Olympics? Well, as Emma mentioned, Paris is probably going to be busy. It will definitely be more expensive than usual. And some of the popular tourist sites like the Eiffel Tower are going to be doubling up as games venues. So they might be closed to normal tourism. But if you're not a sports fan and you're planning on avoiding Paris, should you avoid all of France during the Olympics? I would say no. The rest of the country is still going to have a lot to offer at normal prices. And if you are a sports fan, being in Paris during the Olympics is going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I would understand if you postpone your trip for all of the festivities, but it could also be a really cool opportunity to visit. That's pretty good advice, Jen. Emmy, you'd go along with that? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we're here anyway, but I do think Paris during the Olympics will be quite fun, actually. They're also putting up big screens in all of the arrondissements, including one right outside our office. So I plan to basically just decamp there for a month. I'll be in a deck chair with my laptop doing nominal amounts of work and watching the sport. It's going to be great. Yeah, we're looking forward to it here at the local. 
Now, there is one more event that we need to talk about that should happen in 2024. Macron has promised it will. It's on time. Is Notre Dame going to reopen? Well, it is expected to reopen on December 8th, 2024. So unfortunately, not in time for the Olympics. But if you are here for the Olympics, you might be able to see the spire. So it is possible that there's going to be a little bit more work to do on the cathedral after the opening date. But that goal of December 8th, Macron, he said it's it's we're on track for it. The goal is for the roof and the spire to be restored by the summer. So like I said, hopefully ahead of the Olympics. And that means that if you're visiting in 2024, you'll get to see that original iconic skyline that the city's been missing for the past few years. Then there's also going to be a short religious service, a Te Deum, I hope I pronounced that correctly, on Te Deum. A Te Deum <laughs> on April 15th to mark the fifth anniversary of the fire. So even though the cathedral itself is not going to be open for most of 2024, we're in the home stretch and you can still have a Notre Dame experience while in Paris before December 8th, actually. Uh, you can enjoy it from the outside or you can check out this really interesting virtual reality exhibit and the photo exhibit on the forecourt of the construction site. And that is entirely focused on the ambitious reconstruction effort and all of the artisan work that's gone into uh, restoring Notre Dame. It's been a major project. Just stabilizing the structure itself took two years. And the goal is to rebuild the cathedral pretty much identically to how it was before. And obviously that takes quite a long time. And then afterwards, there are still going to be some more construction projects in the surrounding areas, specifically in the forecourt. And the goal is to make it more of a green space. And that is going to be done by 2027. Huge event. It's going to be really exciting to see Notre Dame open once again. That brings us to the end of this special episode about France in 2024. Reminder for listeners, you can find so much more information about what could happen next year in France on our website, on our homepage. There is a section called France in 2024. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, John. And Happy New Year to you all once again. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.